electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, summer, it's back. Airbnb is betting big on vacation after vaccination. CEO Brian Chesky. A year ago, people thought it would take years for travel to recover. What we're seeing now is a biggest rebound in travel probably in nearly a century. A new Moderna milestone for kids under 16. CNBC's Meg Terrell. They saw vaccine efficacy of 93 to 100%. Either way you look at it, pretty protective and comparable to what you see in adults. Those stories, plus Amazon making big moves. Who's left after this? MGM was one of the last men standing. What happens now? And Florida taking social media into its own hands. Go ahead and deplatform me. I'll get by. Sometimes that'd be doing me a favor. It's Tuesday, May 25th, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Meantime, uh, Becky, we are watching the price of Bitcoin uh, because uh, it should be maybe that should be all we I I don't know. I always I don't know what we should do with crypto because I feel like we talk about it so much. And are we talking about it too much? But here it is. It jumped yesterday after Tesla CEO Elon Musk tweeting that he was having active discussions regarding the sustainability of the digital coin. He tweeted the following. He said, spoke with North American Bitcoin miners. They committed to publish current and planned renewable usage and to ask miners worldwide to do so, potentially promising. Within minutes of that tweet, the price jumped about $1,500, although it has since fallen back below those gains. MicroStrategy CEO Michael Saylor followed up on that tweet, saying that he hosted a meeting between Musk and some Bitcoin miners that led to a council to promote sustainability. Of course, more than half, I think um, maybe more than 60 percent of Bitcoin mining uh, takes place, um, I believe, in China. Um, And there's still lots of questions, of course, about sustainability there and, frankly, sustainability uh, in the United States. There was actually I don't know if you saw the story, guys, uh, a a coal mining plant was actually put back up uh, just to mine Bitcoin. So uh, it's 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 a hard one to fix anytime soon, at least. Joe? Yeah, I mean, he's the energy for a lot of stuff. And grid gets powered uh, by coal in a lot of places. So we're not quite off, uh, uh, haven't quite gotten out of that situation. And Bitcoin's just a small part of the global use of fossil fuels. Amazon's nearing a deal to acquire MGM Studios, the co-owner of the James Bond franchise and other films. Also, TV series, uh, the price tag between eight and a half and nine billion dollars. The deal is expected to be announced as soon as the day. It would be Amazon's biggest acquisition since it bought Whole Foods back in 2017. That was about $13.7 billion. MGM uh, is currently owned by a group of private equity companies that bought it as it emerged from bankruptcy in 2010. It owns a number of popular reality shows, including Shark Tank, Survivor. The Real Housewives of, uh, of Everywhere, I think, and The Voice. It also owns uh, the studio behind scripted TV shows, including Handmaid's Tale and Fargo. 
Real good. Real good. You betcha. Oh, Fargo. Fargo as well, Becky. We'll have maybe Heidi Heitkamp. And talk about on. the scramble yeah. in media and, and what this means and who's left after this. MGM was one of the, the last men standing, you could kind of say, one of the last ones if you were looking for a bell to take to the ball. What, what, what happens now? Because you've still got Apple that has very deep pockets that could be looking to spend some cash. Um, and, and other media players thinking, what next? Yeah. I don't know if you listen to John Malone. <laughs> Did you read that piece? Check it out in the uh, yes. on Drudge and what, what uh, Comcast. They eventually maybe it's a, I don't know, a, Tom, a Comcast, Warner, media, Discovery, Com I can't imagine that would pass regulatory muster, but who knows what the world's going to look like uh, in a couple of years. Is that the name, Warner Discovery? Is that, is that what we figure? I guess that's probably coming. Put Warner first. Or Warner Probably. Media Discovery? Or, Probably. Yeah. That's what we said yesterday. Yeah. Is it Warner Discovery or Warner Media Discovery? I think it's going to be Warner Discovery, but don't Warner hold me to Dis it. But we don't know. Okay. That's pretty good, Warner Discovery. How, what else could you do? It is. Discovery? <laughs> no. That would not be great. No. Probably Darner? Not. No. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signing a new law that gives the state the power to penalize social media companies when they ban political candidates from their platforms. It escalates a fight between the tech industry and Republicans, including DeSantis and former President Donald Trump. The law to prohibit deplatforming is the first of its kind in the United States, and it may be a model for other states to follow, even though one business tech group argues that the law runs counter to the First Amendment. The law says that social media companies may not permanently delete or ban a candidate, although 14-day suspensions are allowed under this law. Posts that violate terms of service can be deleted. Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and others blocked President Trump shortly after the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol by his supporters. They argued President Trump violated the terms of the service that bar the promotion of violence. And, and guys, this is going to be interesting to see how this plays out. I, I don't know what those platforms will do. Would, would this be something where you block or you don't delist the people only in the state of Florida? Is there, you know, like Joe, you talk about your, your gambling app knows if you're in New York or New Jersey or if you're in a state where it's legal or where it's not. Yes, it does. Is, is that the future for some of these social media apps? Yeah. Or do they just say they're, they're not going to play in these places like we heard from Australia with some of the concern before when Australia was moving to put some new laws on, like we just won't do it there. Right. And you, to sue you, I don't know how, I don't know how common that, that, I guess, you know, people that, you know, are public figures, someone like a Trump, uh, President Trump, something like that, you, you'd see it. But I can't see the average person, you know, just trying to, trying to sue. Can you? I mean, I don't, go ahead and deplatform me. I, I'll, I'll get, I'll, I mean, I, I think I, there's, sometimes that'd be doing me a favor. I think this is specifically for political candidates. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The question, though, I have about all of these things is as all if states decide to start making up their own rules. I mean, this is this is a little bit like, um, you know, car emissions, California with its emissions laws relative to other states. Right. It just makes the whole thing much more complicated rather than have a, a national program. And it's interesting to me, though, particularly for the state of Florida, because Miami has tried to become this sort of new mecca of technology. Uh, they want to attract a lot of technology companies, I would imagine social media companies and other things uh, to, to the state. So it gets complicated pretty quickly. Yeah. 
Don't go too far down that it, national it will, road, it will push uh, Andrew. For some we, national. we are a federal. It's still a federation. We are, uh, you know, states. Uh, well, still no, are but when you when, when you, you start just, to see states yeah. go law by law, you know, state state by state. Arizona, do it. by the way, has. What'd you say? That's the way we do it. But with with most things, thank God, uh, we don't want a national. Uh, you know that that's well. What, what that, this will do is take the businesses you, and focus yeah, them to the, where they are suddenly lobbying for a national law because they will want one guidelines, one set of guidelines to, right. to follow on this. I, I, the argument for free speech is an interesting one to say that look, you can't make us take these on. But then I, I was thinking about it, and it's kind of the same thing as with broadcasters: equal time for 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 different candidates, right? If you put on one candidate and you give them time for a broadcaster, at least you have to give another candidate equal time. So I, I don't I don't know how that would play out. But I can see that all of a sudden the technology companies are going to say, yes, please regulate us, come up with a national law so that we don't have to do this state by state. If it, Becky, if it was a national law, we couldn't be number one in New Jersey for taxes. Uh, <laughs> that's Yay in the, uh, yeah. Andrew, you, you had the early call on this to not not join. We begged you to join us uh, out there. You don't like those factories on, on the turnpike, but uh, this is in the journal. New Jersey is number one, alas, uh, across the board, just in um, almost every In terms of taxes. Almost every metric. In terms of state in, taxes. Yes. In terms of how much you pay over your lifetime. Proud, property tax. I mean, it's nice. It is the garden state, uh, but uh, whoa. I read that and it was, uh, hey, you know what? I love it. I love, uh, Andrew, maybe you do want to move out there because, you know, for, for, cause that's where you well, really will feel good about those, uh, supporting the, the governments uh, out here. I don't those, know. Those numbers were based on, on states per states. I think New York City might win when you throw in New York City taxes on top maybe. of the state taxes. But Maybe. But it's close. You know, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, California, maybe Chicago, Illinois. Coming up, are you planning a summer vacation? You're not alone. The airports are filling up and Airbnb is seeing demand. The travel booking platform rolling out big changes, allowing for scheduling flexibility and work from anywhere. Airbnb CEO Brian Chesky. It's really hard to design a post-pandemic world in a pandemic. I think all these companies that are saying, here's our system, it's three days a week, or you have to come back, I think all of us are going to be forced to adapt. Squawk Pod will be right back after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. Joe. Okay. Domestic uh, travel demand is surging. Airline passenger levels getting closer, inching closer to where they were before the pandemic. Phil LeBeau joins us now uh, with more. Surging, but still down. But, uh, it's, it's kind of a uh, kind of an oxymoron, but little bit, Joe, but, but we've come a long ways from really where we were a year ago when you had, what, you know, a couple hundred thousand people who might have been flying uh, in a given day. Take a look at the 
passenger screening levels from the TSA. The steady trend higher, 1.8 million. We passed that threshold. We are now getting close to almost 2 million daily passengers at U.S. airports. That's down, I think, anywhere between 10 and 15, 20 percent, depending on the day you're comparing it to in 2019. The passenger levels, let me give you the most recent reading. As of Sunday, 1.86 million people were screened on Sunday. That was the highest since before the pandemic. That was down just 10% compared to the same day in 2019. All of last week, down 32%. So you can see it's getting much better. It used to be down 50, 60% compared to the same week in 2019, now down just 32%. Take a look at the leisure-based airlines, and we're talking about those carriers that tend to get a little more of their business on the leisure side domestically. We're talking about Southwest, JetBlue, Spirit. All of them are noticing an increase in close-in bookings. In other words, people who are saying, you know what? Two weeks from now, I want to take a trip, or a month from now, I want to take a trip. Let's book that ticket. As for the legacy carriers, we're talking about American, Delta, and United. The focus for them, twofold. One, corporate travel, which is going to be slowly coming back, though unclear how long it'll take to get back to pre-pandemic levels. And then you have international. And the encouraging news in international bookings is that you're seeing parts of Europe reopen. And if you talk to the airlines, uh, whether it's Delta, American United, all of them say the same thing. We're gradually adding back flights to particular cities in Europe, and they're starting to see a gradual rebuild there. But they're nowhere, nowhere close to where they were pre-pandemic. Just trying to think of all the different <laughs> ramifications. So, I mean, I mean, domestic is, if you're a domestic airline, it's great. But I just wonder, and if it's, if it's mostly travel uh, and, and leisure that you're talking about, it's great. It's just all the other factors that we need to uh, to think about in terms it's of... It's going to take some time, Joe. That's the bottom line. It is going to take some time. Uh, but, you know, you hear these people every once in a while, we'll have a guest on who says, oh, you're never going to see business travel return ever to pre-pandemic levels. I mean, that's a bold statement. Never. It may, it may take a year, year and a half, two years. But most believe that we will get back to those pre-pandemic levels. It's just going to take some time in terms of business travel. Phil, thank you. Great to see you. Just in time for an expected surge in travel, Airbnb has announced a major slate of updates to its platform. The company adding new search options with a focus on flexibility and new features that make it easier to become a host. Also plans to expand its customer service team. Joining us right now is Airbnb CEO Brian Chesky. And Brian, it's great to see you this morning. I follow you on Instagram and I see that uh, you've already noted that you're you're so much of a morning person. So I appreciate you getting up (laughs) early. Help us with with, with what's happening here. You've, You've made a new refresh and upgrade uh, on the platform ahead of what has been a remarkably astonishing reopening uh, of the country here and and potentially in parts of the globe. Um, How are you seeing it play out right now? Yeah, I would say two things, Andrew. Number one, it's almost unimaginable to see where we are today with travel, because a year ago, people thought it would take years for travel to recover. What we're seeing now is a biggest rebound in travel probably in nearly a century. We're already back to 2019 levels, and this is before borders have completely reopened, before people have really started traveling again to cities. We think this is going to be a travel rebound unlike any other. But the second thing is that I think travel is going to be different than before. There's a lot less business travel happening. I think the bar to get on a plane to go to a meeting is lower. But I also think the more we're stuck in a home, the more we want to travel and be with people we care about. And so people are getting in cars, they're getting in planes, and they're not just going to cities, they're not just going to big destinations, 
the key thing is they're going everywhere. They're going everywhere really all the time and they're staying longer. These are the really big trends. And the biggest thing I'd say is traveling is starting to blur with living. 24% of our business is really now monthly stays. So Airbnb isn't just a travel company. We're really allowing people to live on Airbnb as well. This is just a really a whole new way to travel where you can stay longer as well. So talk about some of the platform upgrades because it looks like one of the main points that you're, you're trying to bring forward is the idea of actually directing people to places that have hosts that are available. Because by the yes. way, availability has become, uh, frankly, a big challenge. I'm also curious how price sensitive you see people uh, today. It appears that there's a little bit of a YOLO situation uh, happening where people are actually willing to spend more than perhaps they used to be. Yeah, so we launched over 100 upgrades and most of the upgrades that we did we did since the IPO. So we could have taken a breather. We said, no, this is going to be the biggest rebound we've ever seen. So we made a bunch of upgrades. The most important upgrade we made is a new feature called I'm Flexible. If you don't have fixed dates in mind and if you don't have a fixed location that you want to go, which is most people, most people are now open to where they're going, we can now point you to where we have the very best Airbnbs. So go to the calendar. Instead of saying, I want to go travel June 20th to June 25th, you can press a button, it says I'm flexible, and we say do you want to go for a week, a weekend, or a month, which time this summer, and then we can show all the different Airbnbs available. So flexibility is key. People are more flexible, it means they can live and work really a lot more place than they used to, so we can point demand to where we, where we have supply. This is a huge game changer for really balancing supply and demand. Now as far as your second question, prices. Um, it's really all over the map. I mean, again, we have millions and millions of people coming to book Airbnbs. We've got everything from $50 a night, like kind of rooms, to $5,000 a night villas. Um, but what we're really seeing is people want something unique and special. You know, we're seeing a huge surge in bookings for tree houses or castles or boats or like really interesting architectural wonders. So I think people really want book homes that are the destination, something really unique. That's what we're starting to see. How much of this is being driven by and, and how do you think about the regulations that are happening in some of the major metropolitan uh, cities, not just in the United States, but across the globe when it comes to uh, Airbnb style uh, style hosting and what that's going to do to the business and how much to actually try to focus on on locations outside of those major cities that have less regulation? I mean, it's absolutely true that um, the lens, less densely populated areas typically are going to have um, you know, much more open uh, regulatory environments. And what COVID was for Airbnb was a bit of a reset button for us with cities, because now a lot of cities who have who had too much tourism before they thought they did now have under tourism and they're reaching out to us. We had over 100 mar mar uh, destination market organizations reach out to us asking for help to drive demand to towards them. But the big shift we're seeing in travel is people aren't just going to New York, they're not just going to Orlando, they're not just going to Vegas, they're really going everywhere. This is a major shift. Right. It's really travel redistribution. So that's a pretty big game changer. Uh, Brian, uh, customers may be very happy about the investment you're making in customer service. Um, I think investors want to know how expensive it's ultimately going to be and what it means to your path to profitability. I think that you know, we've gained a lot of efficiency, and I think people will see that we were actually more profitable um, in the midst of a pandemic because of some of the structural changes we made than the year prior. So we've reduced a huge amount of marketing. We have the same amount of traffic 
as a two years ago before the pandemic with half the marketing expenses. Our customer service is getting significantly more efficient. And one of the ways we're able to do that is by reducing the number of defects or issues that make you call customer service in the first place. So I would just say we're making metronomic improvements and I think you're gonna see that up and down the P&L. Becky? Hey, Brian, real quickly, advertising. Yeah. I know that's something that you guys cut immediately during the pandemic um, as you were looking for way to cut, ways to cut costs and save up, save up on things. Yeah. Are you spending? How, how, what's your budget now? And do you even need to advertise or are people just finding you because they're looking for these vacations? Yeah, to be super clear, we don't need to advertise. I, we could have just shut out. We could shut down advertising and be fine. Um, we didn't have to do any. We did decide to do advertising this year. To give you a stat, um, we have the same traffic right now or slightly more than at this time to, in 2019 with half the advertising budget. So you could think of it as getting now twice as efficient. We did not have to do advertising, but we wanted to make an investment in our brand. And so we did this really big campaign called Made Possible by Hosts, because I think of marketing as education. And I really wanted to make sure that as we saw a once in a century travel rebound, we wanted to make sure we told the story of what makes Airbnb different. What makes Airbnb different is unlike other websites, you get a host, a host who can make sure you have a great stay. So that's how we're thinking about it. But honestly, we get a lot of direct traffic. More than 90% of our traffic is unpaid or direct. Brian, another question. You talked about people living uh, potentially in places for weeks, if not months. In part, I imagine that's a function of what we might be described as a new hybrid life, uh, yeah. work life uh, that people are talking about. I I'm curious what you folks are doing in terms of hybrid versus in-person versus uh, working from home, and also how you think about some of the companies, including many of the big financial companies in, in New York that are actually pushing people back to the office, and, and frankly, how long this hybrid life uh, may or may not last. Yeah, so we are, I guess you could call us hybrid. Um, we, uh, we're allowing people, we, we told people in our company, you don't have to come back to the office until next September. I wanted to allow people to go a whole nother school year before feeling like they had to uproot their families. So we think the future is a combination of, hey, number one, we're benefiting from people living on Airbnb. I want to model what we're benefiting from. But I also think we're a creatively led company. Creative collaboration happens in person. So we're going to find some balance. We're going to spend the next year designing it. I would just say this. I think it's really hard to design a post-pandemic world in a pandemic. I think all these companies that are saying, here's our system, it's three days a week, or you have to come back, I think all of us are going to be forced to adapt. And any company that's forcing people to come back, the real test is going to be two years from now. Are they able to retain all those employees? I think the market's going to determine um, you know, how we work, not the corporations, because we're going to all compete for the very best people. Hey, Brian, I got, I got a final, a potentially hard question for you, which is you're a sponsor of the Olympics uh, that is uh, supposed to be coming up in less than two months in Tokyo. Uh, the CDC recently said that um, U.S. travelers should not travel to Tokyo given uh, the rapid rise of COVID. There's headlines every day about uh, the number of people in hospitals and the lack of ventilators and, and, and the like. Masasan was on our show and recently publicly came out uh, and said that uh, the Olympics should not happen. He fears for Japan, what do you think should happen? Um, I, I don't think it's probably best for me to wade in um, on that. You know, we are a sponsor of the Olympics, but our sponsorship is quite different. We're a sponsor of athletes, and we're supporting athletes over the course of nine years. I am very supportive of whatever, um, obviously, the country, Japan, the IOC decides. And so we'll be ready. If there's games, we'll be ready. Otherwise, of course, we're everywhere around the world, and we're ready for travelers, and we'll welcome them.
Brian, it is great to see you. As I said, thank you, thank you for waking up early or never going to sleep or napping <laughs> or whatever's happened. Um, and we look forward to seeing you. Maybe, maybe we'll come out uh, next time and see you in person on your coast. Next on Squawk Pod, Moderna says its COVID vaccine is 100% effective for teenagers and plans to seek federal approval. CNBC's Meg Terrell has the news. There is less severe disease in teenagers, but preventing the spread is incredibly important. When it comes to family vacations, there are a million different trips you can take. You can get your own... ...trip to Texas. Or if you prefer a vacation from your family, you can always get your own leave the kids with grandma trip to Texas. So go to TravelTexas.com slash get your own for the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. Travel is great, but planning for travel can be time consuming and difficult. That's where One Travel comes in. With One Travel, you'll find everything you need to book the perfect trip. Flights, hotels, cars, transportation, it's all right there. With One Travel, you can book online, via app, or even pick up the phone and talk to a travel advisor ready to help you make your selections. Visit onetravel.com slash music or call 855-437-2154. Plan it, book it, live it. One Travel. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Here's Becky Quick. We've got some breaking news from COVID vaccine maker at Moderna. Meg Terrell's here. She's got more on that front. Meg? Oh, good morning, Becky. Moderna is saying it now has enough data to file for emergency use authorization of its vaccine for kids ages 12 to 17. Remember, we'd seen the initial data on this vaccine in that age group when they reported earnings a couple weeks ago. It came in at 96%. Um, they say in this trial of 3,700 participants, um, they saw a vaccine efficacy of 93 to 100% based on how you're measuring after the first or the second dose. Either way you look at it, pretty protective and comparable to what you see in adults. Now, Stefan Bunsell in the company's press release saying, quote, it's particularly exciting to see that the Moderna COVID-19 vaccine can prevent SARS-CoV-2 infection, maybe emphasizing that point because there is less severe disease um, in teenagers, but preventing the spread is incredibly important. Of course, the Pfizer vaccine already out there for this age group. We learned from the CDC that in its first week out there for age 12 to 15, they vaccinated more than 600,000 kids in that age group. So we'll see how that continues to proceed in terms of pace. Uh, But guys, getting more data on these vaccines in younger and younger age groups. Becky? Hey, Meg, I I think that this is probably incredibly good news when you consider that that these trials were run while those other strains were out there, strains that we uh, we had been questioning whether the vaccines would be as effective because when those original uh, studies were done, maybe not as many of the the different strains were out there. So incredible news to hear that it's up to 100 percent effectiveness uh, after the second dose, perhaps. Um, and then I think the big question has to be, when does this come for kids younger than age 12? I mean, that's what parents everywhere are wondering. Yeah. And, you know, Pfizer actually laid out a timeline for that when it reported earnings earlier this month. And so we're looking at September potentially for getting data in kids down to age two for Pfizer's vaccine. Moderna might be around the same timeline. We'll have to see. Uh, And then Pfizer will submit uh, for emergency use authorization if those data are positive. 
um, and then later in the year for kids down to age six months. And so that will be a little different because for the kids over age 12, it's the same dose as for adults, but for younger kids, they are trying out lower and lower doses. So they've got to do a little more work um, to just figure out what the right dose is for younger kids. What did they say for, for the kids who have been getting this vaccine ages 12 to 15, the Pfizer vaccine that's already authorized for emergency use authorization? What have the side effects been? You know, I haven't heard a lot of specific uh, side effects in real world use. We know from the clinical trials, they are similar to what they saw in the young adults uh, in the trials. They can have the same sort of feelings of achiness and uh, muscle pain and, you know, things like that after, particularly after the second dose, um, have not heard major concerns about any stronger side effects. And of course, the CDC is looking into the very rare issue of myocarditis, um, however, they do not know if that's linked to the vaccine. You know what does cause myocarditis a lot, Meg? Viruses. So viruses. I, I will take my chances. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like no evidence that any of these cases were linked to the vaccine. The, and, and usually they go away on their own. But there are myriad cases of myocarditis that are caused by different viruses. So you got your choice. You want to get your myocarditis from COVID? Or do you want this nebulous possibility of some type of myocarditis in an infinitesimal amount of people that get the vaccine? It's once again, like, pick your poison. You want to get the side effects from the vaccine or you want to get COVID? Yeah, I mean, and we're expecting to hear more about this investigation the CDC is doing. Many say it's, it's good to show the CDC is taking this very seriously, although it's at such an early stage. It's just yeah. not known um, right. if there is a link, if a very right. rare one weird. I guess it's possible from the spike protein, but more likely from the, the whole virus, obviously, or even some other virus. Thanks, Meg. And that's Squawk Pod. Thanks for listening today. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. Subscribe to Squawk Pod. And if you like what you hear, let us know. Give us a rating, five stars, maybe, or write a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps other listeners find Squawk Pod. Or tweet us anytime at Squawk CNBC. We will meet you back here tomorrow. No matter what you're a fan of, Texas has the trip for you. There's the trip to Texas and the trip. Or maybe you're the kind of fan who'd prefer a trip to Texas or a trip. Either way, go to TravelTexas.com slash get your own for the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours.